0: That I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall shine, shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Life in the highlands of Papua New Guinea on the, on the surface looks very inviting, sort of like our basketball team in Hawaii. It's a beautiful setting near the equator. Uh, we're high in the mountains, about 5,000-foot elevation, Surrounded by lush foothills framed in by the surrounding mountains, we have ideal weather. Highs in the 80s. You can do the forecast every single day. Highs in the 80s, lows in the lower 60s. Sunshine through the day, rain in the evening. We had thought about retiring in Boston, but we can't stand the cold. We're not sure we can adjust. There's abundant water. From the mountain streams, uh, thick, nutrient-rich topsoil. I'm a gardener, and, and uh, you just you go down two feet of topsoil. Gardens grow the year-round. You can rotate your crops, or you can just move your space over one for your next garden. Uh, bush materials like wood and leaves and grass are readily available from the jungle. You can construct your own house and, and cook house. But the surface calm doesn't reveal what lies beneath. Elizabeth would tell you a different story. Elizabeth was the first wife in a male-dominated culture that embraces polygamy. Elizabeth's husband decided he would like to have a second wife, younger wife. So he consulted with his brother, who was a village leader, and they acquired one. Young women are available for men who have the means to pay a, bar- a bride price, and together this uh, Elizabeth's husband and, and brother-in-law made the transaction, and they brought a second wife into the home. As is often the case in a polygamous situation in the Highlands, the result was a very miserable situation for Elizabeth. The second wife, at least for, until the third wife comes in, is enjoying the greater favor in that household. But the real crisis came when the youngest son of of Elizabeth's brother-in-law, the husband's brother, the youngest son became ill and he died. The brother-in-law was angry and grieving and bitter over the loss of his child, and he began a witch hunt to determine where he could focus the blame landed on Elizabeth. Because he had obviously contributed to a lot of discord in that home and made Elizabeth's life miserable, he believed, or at least he said he believed, that Elizabeth had worked a magic spell, a witch spell magic, and caused his son to die. It's actually a common scenario. He was a uh, a recognized village leader, and he gathered a group of men together, and they came into Elizabeth's house, and they bound her hands and feet. And then they put bush knives to her legs, and they said, confess that you are a witch, that you did work this magic, work this poison to kill this child. And she said, no, I I did nothing of that. And he started to cut on her legs. Then they put metal rods into a fire and took those red hot rods out of the fire and put them through the palms of her hands and then they buried them deep into the inner thighs and then believing that uh, she was dying they put her in a, a hut to die slowly and they burned Elizabeth's house and they burned all of her possessions Reports of Elizabeth's torture and her captivity probably reached the police, but they were unable to do anything about it. And for two weeks, Elizabeth suffered in that hut, alone, imprisoned in it, uh, dying, until uh, some relatives, distant relatives, were able to come into that village and, and rescue what was left of Elizabeth and bring her to Nazarene Hospital. The nurses beckoned me to a curtained corner in the emergency room, but those drapes were no match for the stench of rotting flesh. Elizabeth's eyes stared vacantly. Her starving and tortured body was motionless except for some shallow breathing. There was not a cry, not a tear. Elizabeth had shed plenty of tears, and it had done her no good black gangrenous flesh and foul pus marred her hands and her thighs and the infection had spread into her bloodstream and was about to take her life. We gave Elizabeth some IV fluids, some antibiotics, some pain uh, relievers and then we began the long process of daily removing the dead necrotic tissue, the gangrenous tissue, cleaning and dressing her wounds and covering them eventually when they were clean with with grafts. Though the treatments and the wound care are quite painful in themselves, we attempted to combine every intervention and every interaction we had with Elizabeth with a heavy dose of compassion. And like when you plant a, a seed in good soil, a new life emerged. Elizabeth began to replace her pain and her despair, with gratitude and hope. Elizabeth isn't the exception, and, and she's not the extreme. I've seen worse, and some of them I cannot share their stories here. A woman in the town of Hagen, Hagen is, uh, is a good-sized town, 20,000, 30,000 people on Friday. A woman in Hagen was accused of being a witch. Sort of the same scenario. They uh, had a bad outcome. A child got sick and died, and they went on a witch hunt and decided that this woman uh, had worked the magic. Some men got together and pulled her from her house and stripped her naked and marched her down the main street of town, and a crowd fell in behind, and Watch this. And then they beat her up. And then they put her on a pile of trash, including some tires. And they poured gasoline on her, and they killed her. And the people watched. Nazarene Hospital, and the emergency room especially, is full of people who uh, reflect Elizabeth's story and this woman from Hagen. I get a call about once every five, six days that there's a young lady in the hospital who drank Gramoxin. Gramoxin is an herbicide like Roundup. It's a paraquat poisoning. And young women, they get so miserable that they take their own life by drinking Gramoxin. You die slowly and you almost always die. It, you, have you ever put an herbicide on? You come back the next day and the leaves are brown, and you come back the next day and, and, and they're dead? That's what happens in the throat, and it eats away the back of the throat, and pretty soon the trachea and the esophagus are connected with each other, and you suffocate and die. We didn't read the first four verses of, of the first five verses of Isaiah 58 this morning. But those verses, if we had read them, they raise a question. Why doesn't God see us? Why doesn't he hear us? Why doesn't God respond when we call? And the answer is because even though we fast and we pray, at our core, we are pleasure seekers. We are selfish and we are deaf to God's voice. And so the scriptures that we did read uh, give us a description of what would God like us to do? What is the fast that God has chosen? Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the burden. Set the oppressed free. Break the yoke. Share with the hungry. Care for the poor. Clothe the naked. And I, I love the phrase in verse 10, extend your soul. Extend your soul. And if you do that, then your light will be like the morning sunrise. Your healing will spring forth. Righteousness will go out in front of you. Glory will have your backside. The Lord will hear and he will guide you. He'll satisfy your soul and he'll strengthen your bones. In other words, the passage here says that the very best life possible for you and me is very much related to what we do for others. Seek pleasure for yourself or others. In verse 12, then says, And some of you, some of you shall build and raise up old foundations. And those of you who do are going to be called repairer of the breach, restorer of streets to dwell in. All capitals, because it's a name. Some of you who hear this word and this call, are going to be repairers and restorers the american consumer culture is all about giving you a name and analyzing you there's some profit to be made you carry a fair number of labels and stereotypes you're i'm i'm a baby boomer you're a millennial you are generation y digital natives Digital natives. Generation me. Trophy kids. Names that carry with them certain stereotypes. They, the um, experts say that you are a confident, tolerant generation, that you have a strong sense of entitlement and narcissism. Maybe. There's a, there's a race going on right now to name the next generation. It's the, the Generation Y millennials, maybe cuts off around 2004 or something like that. And, they, and you've seen the controversy about the next generation. They're, they're, they're going with iGen because you've got iPod, iMac, and, and they're thinking maybe iGen. And somebody said, let's call them WeGen, W-I-I. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> we. I've played we once. I I lost badly, but the 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 rationale behind the Wii Gen label is because they believe that this next generation is going to treat life as if it is a continuous game. Uh, somebody has suggested Homeland Generation because. Uh, The events of 9-11 and and other security breaches have have sensitized this generation and they're going to be less willing to take risk and security is going to be their highest value and they'll be called homeland generation. And people study these things and they use those labels because they hope to make a lot of money off of you. By knowing your tendencies and your preferences and your vulnerabilities, they are going to develop marketing strategies that are going to capture your attention, and they will know when and where and how you will spend money. But what if they are wrong? What if some of you turn off the cultural loudspeakers and put a filter on your incoming messages and you transcend your generational stereotypes? What if in, instead of making life a continuous game, you embrace what is real and what is significant? What if instead of spending money, you extend your souls? I think you all, many of you already know this very well, but information access doesn't guarantee information accuracy. Frequent doesn't mean you need to follow, and loud doesn't necessarily mean that you ought to listen. Choose wisely the voices you'll hear. Repairer of the breach. Restorer of streets to dwell in. Maybe that's going to describe you. Well, what does the breach look like in Papua New Guinea? What, what's a breach? It's a hole. It's a violation. It's it's uh, the place you thought was secure. It's that gap at Helms Deep when the armies of sorry, maybe I don't know if that would work. <laughs> yeah, okay. I should. I, we should have had that. We 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 usually bring a video of PNG, but we should have had the picture of Legolas wiping them out as they they come through the hole in the wall. And into the breach comes the call of God to become repairers and restorers. In PNG, the breach looks like Elizabeth and her physical and emotional scars. The breach in Papua New Guinea is is, uh, characterized by tribal violence and domestic violence, Widespread corruption, ignorance, oppression, evil. You might describe it differently in America. You certainly know better than I what the breach looks like here. And God says, loose the bonds, lift the burdens, free the oppressed, feed the hungry, care for the sick, repair and restore. In real life, how does that play out? Well, I was once young, and you will someday be old. And I sat in chapel services at Point Loma College, and the voices I heard were different than the ones that you hear in your generation. I don't even know how to use a cell phone. Whoa. Whoa. I hand it to a nurse. The, the Papua New Guinea National Nurses do know how to use the cell phone, and I can carry one. And I hand it to the nurse and say, would you help me see what, who's calling and answer that? And so my story is, is uh, going to be different from your story, but it, it uh, may have some overlap. I was pitiful, and we will not spend time on that. I could have written several pages about how pitiful I was. But I basically memorized the 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 pathway to medical school and I followed it. I was a good student, I was and and I wanted to please people. I wanted them to be impressed, so I got good grades and 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 then when I went to medical school interviews I said the right words, I want to serve others. I said that. But really I wanted you guys to be proud of me someday. And so I became a doctor, and then, and then one day in a church service, I sensed God was calling me to offer myself as a medical missionary. I didn't really think I would ever become a medical missionary. I just sensed that it was a good thing for me to make the offer, and so we offered ourselves to the Church of the Nazarene, and they said, yes, we'll send you to Swaziland to the RFM Hospital. I had never been out of North America before. I'd been across the border into Canada once. And and I didn't really believe airplanes could make it across the ocean. Pitiful, pitiful, terrible. I thought I was going to die. And I thought it was a great way to die. I thought uh, that will be painless. I feel bad for Bill. He's only seven years old, but at that point, but but I thought that will be a great story. Medical missionary offers himself church sins in plane crashes. That'll preach. And so I, yeah, my time's running out because this is actually quite quite a long story. And so I'm waiting for this event to happen, and I look out the airplane as we're coming over the continent of Africa, and I see land, and I go, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no, this plane is going to (laughs) land, and I'm going to have to be a medical missionary. And I was totally unprepared and totally inadequate for it, and and every day i was in uh, to see about 50 to 75 children on the children's ward and they were desperately sick and then a 75 plus in the outpatient area and i was just working as hard as i could day and night and every day on children's ward a baby would die not every day i promised god this morning in my devotions i wouldn't lie here and the and I just did, but most most days a baby died, and those babies died in my arms. I'd be on. I'd be doing my ward rounds, and, and a child would begin to uh, be unable to breathe, and we would rush back to a cubicle where we tried resuscitation, and we would put the IV and the oxygen and the suction, and. Do the CPR and give the drugs, and I would go through all those motions. And while I was doing it, the mothers of those African babies would stand there watching me, and I was doing my performance for them. And at the end of it, the babies uh, almost always died. And, and when the baby would die, and I would stop the resuscitation effort and look up at the mother and say, I'm sorry, your baby's gone, baby has died. Those African mothers would scream and they would throw themselves to the ground, cement floor, bare cement floor, and they would land free fall. And then they would bang their heads on the concrete there and wail. And I did that day after day after day until I could do it no longer. And one morning I was coming to Children's Ward and I could not go inside. I could not do that one more time. And I walked away. I had been asking missionaries for some time, what's the shortest time that a missionary ever spent on the field? Somebody who was coming long-term, what's the shortest time? Because I wanted to know the answer to that because I didn't want to be the answer to that. The answer they were telling me was 10 months. I was 10 weeks in. And I was done. There was no way I was going to make it to 10 months. I was the answer to that question. I walked away from Children's Ward. I needed to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom. My pee was brown. And my eyes were yellow. And I walked over to the lab and said, Whoa, I think something's going on. Check check me for hepatitis. And sure enough, I had hepatitis. And I went home whining and complaining and saying, Marcia, I do not like God's sense of humor in this. I know he's laughing at me. I know I was pitiful. I know I wasn't prepared. I know that I wasn't able to be a medical missionary. I accept all that. I know I need to go home and tell the churches. Everything I said about myself wasn't true. It was a facade. I'm a fake, and I'm not adequate for this task. And... I I realize all that. Why the hepatitis? Why does God need to put me down with hepatitis on top of all that? And I was laying there pouring out this complaint to Marsha and to God, and, and God said, it's good that you are down on your back because all the time that you were accepting your awards and making your achievements and college, of medical school, and building this uh, persona, Africa was here, Swaziland was here, mothers and babies, and babies were dying, and you didn't see, and you didn't care, and you didn't hear. Uh, if you thought you were the rescuer and restorer and redeemer for Africa, well, you're not. There is only one who is. And when you're done complaining, if you want to, you're invited. That was a half a million patients ago. Where, I, where instead of thinking myself as restorer and redeemer and savior and repairer of bodies and lives... I accepted the gracious invitation of Jesus to be where he wanted to be and where he wanted to redeem and restore. And so for me, I had my own set of cultural and generational blinders. They are different than yours, but I found myself in a gracious invitation to follow Jesus into a few broken places in this world. And that is my hope and my prayer for you too. That you will be called repairers of the breach, restorers of streets to dwell in. Make it yours. May that be your legacy. Thank you so much. You've been a great audience. I win. No, no song. You're out of here. Bye. <laughs> Just want to pray for you. Let's just pray for the McCoys before we go. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful word, this uh, wonderful family who have been faithfully serving you. Thank you for their witness and example to us this morning. We pray your blessing, anointing, and hand of protection upon them in their ministry ahead. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in peace. Thank you. Thank you.